Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Price Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to get in on the action. Whether you watch your favorite sports and players, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Download the app today. Use code MIB for a first deposit match of up to $100. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! It's Rog. Oh, and it's Friday. We made it through another long, hard week together. And I'm back to cobble up daily dollops of hope and joy. So was the football sprinkles. And I want to begin with something I wrote about in the newsletter today, partially because, well, I can't stop singing it, and partially because it's just lifted my spirits no end. It's a story from Scotland, a video my mate Michael Cohen sent me yesterday from 2016. It's Hibernian fans full-throatedly singing Sunshine on Leith after their team's victory. In the Scottish Cup final, the song is it's an anthem. Well, really, it's the anthem all our hearts and souls yearn for right now. And the backstory, it's this. Hibs, they just won the trophy for the first time in 114 years. Better still, a 92nd minute winner had seen them top Rangers snap a string of 10 straight heartbreaking final losses. Oh, the fans... Well, they're Scottish, so they reacted as (laughs) all Scottish fans are programmed to do. They invaded the pitch. They battled police. They battled police horses. But rather than scatter, after about 20 minutes, the Hibs fans returned to their seats. They wanted to savour the moment. They wanted to revel in it, and revel in it they did. They broke out into a seven-minute-long rendition of the Proclaimer song turned Hibs Terrace Anthem, Sunshine on the Lead. The Proclaimers, both lifelong Hibs fans, they wrote the tune and it caught on at Easter Road. A tribute to the restorative powers only home can provide. GFOP Irving Welsh once wrote about the chant. He said, if you're from the green half of Edinburgh, you've belted this out at football games and weddings and cried as it plays at funerals. And the lyrics are beautiful. Oh, so here the fans are, 
They're bellowing these lyrics out in the sun. Scarves raised, side by side, parents, children, friends, fans all at Hampden Park, knowing they've just watched their team win, win, and made memories together that last a lifetime. It's all so beautiful and passionate and filled with love that when my mate Michael sent this to me yesterday and I watched it, I will admit, at the end, I found myself sobbing because, yeah, it's beautiful, but looking at it, it almost feels like it's from another planet. And all I want to say for today is this. We will get back to this feeling again. This world again. That spirit of togetherness and wonder and dreams come true. That sport, that life can bring. We will. We will. For now, watch this video and just drink it in. In the same way we drink in your questions and stings on WGFOP The Bald, the show where you ask the big questions and the answers are slightly less impressive. Sting me up, daddy-o. 646450 to call a Chat chick, get answered. <laughs> oh, cars for kids. You know, oh, I miss football so badly. I almost missed that commercial. I said almost, people. Thank you to Tambino, who sent this slice of magic in from Bogota, Colombia. Oh, be well. Be well at Tambino, baby. You know the number, 646-450-9472. Jordan loves answering the phone bank this weekend, so don't be a stranger. First question, please. Raj, Devo, this is Matt from Princeton, New Jersey. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, reluctant Everton fan, thanks to Tim Cahill. Also a big Roma fan from my time studying in Italy way back when. My question for you is one that I don't see any press about lately, but I know no better expert than Raj in particular. But what will the pregame tunnels be like in a post-COVID world? Will we see teams staggered in the tunnels? Uh, have you done any analysis on how many teams have socially distant compliant tunnel setups? Uh, will stadiums require new tunnels? Uh, what will Joe Hart do if he can't touch his teammates' heads? in a special way. Please help us predict the future. I'm very worried about how this situation will play out once we are back to football. Thank you. Courage. Oh, Matt from Princeton, that town that gave birth to the greatest manager in history, with two Bs in his initials, Bob Bradley. I know, I know, I'm worried too about Tunnel, because, oh, Tunnel's why we watch. Social distancing, it is going to change football as we know it. I, I mean, just imagine Jurgen Klopp social distancing will he be able to coach without being able to hug his players and not just him Nigel Pearson knows that he's instantly deprived of 74% of his managerial acumen when opponents know he's no longer going to wrestle them to the ground as they charge past the game without fans is just inherently going to be different very different we read this morning about the Bundesliga prepping for a May return please come back in May Bundesliga behind closed doors how do Germans always have a word for it? They've already got one. Geisterspiel. 
ghost games, no fans, but the planning has been meticulous. Really, when I read about this, it gave you a sense of what it's going to take to bring sports back into our lives. Strict controls. The Germans, they love their numbers. Just 322 people will be present in the stadium. 98 in the interior. Players, coaches, medical staff. 115 in the stands, mostly media. And 109 more. Not one more, not one less within the stadium. Security, TV production staff, camera people. Players, it's rumoured, are going to wear masks, masks, as you call them in America, that will be changed during breaks in the game. It's going to be no fans there to impact the play. We had Brandon McCarthy, the wonderful Brandon McCarthy, on the pod this Wednesday, and he talked about how he believes when baseball returns, which it's rumoured to in biospheres in Arizona, that Major League Baseball pitchers on the mound will lose miles per hour off their fastball because, you know, the adrenaline, the pressure caused by fans, that rhythm of fan engagement in the stadium will actually knock off performance by a percentage. Be the same for football. But I believe, I don't believe in much in life, but one thing I believe in is footballers' ability to make things cool. I mean, Jesse Lingard, abhors a social media vacuum. That's a law of nature. And my mind, it does, returns irrevocably to that last Italian game before the pandemic shut down the league at the beginning of March. It feels like it was years ago. Sassuolo score in the 45th minute. Francesco Caputo, the goal scorer, in a totally empty stadium. No reaction, no fan noise, no anything. But he ran towards a television camera in a totally empty stadium and held up a sign handwritten scroll on it to the camera that simply said andra tutto bene restate a casa it said everything will be okay stay at home everything will be okay and it was beautiful as it will be when football comes back it will be it's inevitable next question please hi rod this is ashley from new york city everton fan the strokes have released a new album the last song is titled Ode to the Mess. The drummer recently described the song as something that you set your heart to and you love unconditionally, but continues to disappoint you. The song closes with these lyrics. Gone now are the old times, forgotten, time to hold on the railing. The Rubik's Cube isn't solving for us. Old friends long forgotten, the old ways at the bottom of the ocean now has swallowed. The only thing that's left is us. So pardon the silence that you're hearing. It's turning into a deafening, painful, shameful roar. Please give the song a listen and let me know. Is this song actually about Everton? Courage. Ashley from New York City, why have you got to do me like that with the strokes? I mean, I can say, having spent the morning speaking to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, we just taped a stunning interview, me and DCL, the bald and the beautiful, I can I just I just know this stroke song is not cannot be about Everton Football Club because I'm completely convinced and no one can make me think any different. We're going to win the league next season, baby. Oh, but unfortunately, unfortunately, it's probably more about the English Premier League and the prospects of its return right now that the Strokes are singing about because oh, I know. UEFA are doing all they can to coax the leagues back into action, but it's been a dark week from a Premier League perspective. And I do start to fear that the longer we sit in this uncertainty, the less likely football 
or this season's football will be of returning. And, you know, our hearts, our minds, our everything. We want football to recommence. And broadcasters, $1 billion, make it a commercial imperative. But there is, and not to get too Dr. Fauci on your asses, there's a ton of medical realities which is just going to complicate football's aspirational efforts to return inevitably. I mean, medically, clubs know they can only resume once there's a sufficient capacity for COVID testing. And that has to be worked out against the backdrop of the nation and how things are going. In Germany, it's going unbelievably well. I think the Bundesliga said they'd only need 0.04% of the nation's tests to finish the season. 22,000 tests they need. But in Britain, even frontline medical workers are currently not getting the testing they need. Bad optics for football to just charge in and get there. Second, it's not even clear the players will agree to be isolated from their families for a two-month period at this time, a time of threat. You look at Spain, where they're also trying to get the players to come back to training, and a number of players have said, we do not want a risk. We do not want to be exposed to the virus. We don't want to leave our families by being forced back into play too early. So there's a maze of complexities. We haven't even got to the legal complexities, that June 30th contractual Armageddon date when players' contracts, when a ton of sponsorship deals finish almost overnight, they can't be wished away. There's a ton of reasons. I mean, squads are built for one purpose, to play a game at most two a week. And the notion of playing four games a week, it's like trying to get a middle-distance runner and say, hey, just stop becoming a 100-meter sprinter. The, the squads who have older compositions are just going to be at a distinct disadvantage. So oh, it's all hot mess city. The next Premier League meeting is scheduled for Friday, May the 1st. Let's hope and believe me, no one wants football back more than this guy. Next question, Doctor. Hey, Raj, this is Neil from Cary, North Carolina, home of the courage. Uh, also a big Man United fan. Uh, question for you. If you could be a football manager... Would you rather be the manager of a club where you could interact with the players every day and instill your philosophy, but you'd also have to deal with agents and, I don't know, guys like Ed Woodward? Or would you rather be a national team manager where you don't interact with the players that often, but every other summer you do get to be the center of the country's attention and you do get to wear those pretty natty waistcoats? So uh, just curious about that. And um, courage? Just keep living. All right, all right, all right. Neil, let me say up top, I love a waistcoat as much as an X-Man. But the international game has fallen from grace so radically over the past 12 years. It used to be the apex. You know, World Cup coach used to be the prestige job. But club soccer in general and the Champions League powerhouse teams in particular, they've trumped it. So the only guys who want to be an international manager now, which means you are willing to just work with players for a couple of days at most around international breaks and really not to be able to do a hell of a lot with them if they're being honest and play a lot of golf, are guys who are past it or never really had it. Having said that, I want to make it clear, and I'll I'll tell you because no one else is listening, I'd be a bloody terrible club manager. I would. I would. I mean... When you list what club managers do, first, you'll realise few jobs are so much of a single individual under conditions of hysterical stress right now, other than 
pretty well every emergency worker job. But in the world of sports, I mean, you've got to be a tactical genius, a psychologist, a sports scientist, negotiator, data analyst, master motivator, charismatic PR figurehead. I think I'm possibly one of those. Probably, if I'm being honest, not really. You've also got to be able to carry the hopes of your entire fan base on your shoulders while the tabloid press mind the recesses of your private life for dirt. You don't have to have been an elite player. You know, I always love the quote of Sacchi, the uh, Italian who was once a shoe salesman uh, and then guided Italy to the World Cup finals in 1994. His quote, you don't have to have been a horse to be a jockey, but it's not for me, managing a football team. It's not. It's not. I mean, especially in the future, the specialty that's going to go into management, the crazy amount of tasks that an English Premier League coach is meant to oversee, it is bonkers. And I think the future is managing a staff of managers, team managerial staffs will splinter into niches like NFL coaching units over the next decade, which is even more not me. Um, but the kind of manager I'd like to be most is the one that um, Big Phil Scolari, who led Brazil to World Cup victory in 2002, always used to complain that every soccer fan believes they know better than the manager. He said, there are 180 million people in Brazil and all of them are coaches. That, that's the kind of coach I long to be. The one who knows best and just shouts at his television screen impotently and angrily. You know, Charlie Methven style. Yeah, that's me. Change it! Oh, let's have a sting, producer Jonah. W-G-F-O-P Holy crap, I love this thing. I do. Zion, my daughter, loves this thing. It's the musical rendition for those that don't recognise it of her message that she left my brother Nige after Watford beat Liverpool. Suck it, Nige. Suck it. This masterpiece of a sting was sent to us by Kurt Beach, who says it was composed by his daughters, 14-year-old Eden, 16-year-old Tate. Hello, Eden and Tate. Composed at dad's request, he says, I'm proud, sort of. It's their first composition. Maybe it'll lead to bigger and better things. He says, I was so proud of keeping them off screens. And now maybe I've got to encourage them to be on screens all the time. Strange times. Oh, beach family. Courage to the question. Hey, Raj, the old goat, Oxford, Kentucky, Manchester United supporter. So the pressing question is, what's the first song you're going to learn on your banjo? A positive keep on the sunny side or a dark, heavy murder ballad like Banks of the Ohio. You have to know courage. Oh, I'm going to let you into a secret. And you probably know this because you live in Kentucky, but oh my God, banjo's hard, man. The finger work. You've got to be able to do different things at the same time. And my body, I've realized, was built to do one thing at a time. And that one thing was mostly to bald. So when I pick up my banjo, I feel a bit like Bruno Fernandes when he arrived at Manchester United. Like, holy crap, this is going to be harder than I ever imagined. But fear not, because more than anything, I want to be able to play the American National Anthem before games. Just want to turn up at the Washington Spirit, pull out my banjo and just twang out, you know, ding, say, can you? Oh, that would be amazing. That's what's driving this. And it's happening. 
Hey, Raj and Debo. This is Sam from St. Paul, Minnesota. Go Loons and go Tottenham. Looking forward to a time when we can raise a bud and enjoy a Juicy Lucy one more time. My wife recently gave birth to our first child, a boy, and we could not be happier. After his birth, the nurse had our son do his footprint and remarked, wow, that is a strong left foot. For better or worse, my Spursy side came out and I immediately thought, yes, the second coming of Gareth Bale. My question for you is, one, is this okay that I did that? And two, if your children were football players, who would they be and why? Is there a Bob Latchford Jr. in the Bennett household? A young Wayne Rooney? Hopefully not a Phil Jones. Thanks for the time, guys. Courage. First of all, Sam, from beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. Oh, congratulations. What, what an amazing time to have a kid. A light in the darkness. And to have a first kid now. A time when, I mean, when you have your first kid, your life becomes homebound anyway. Perfect timing. So savor every second. Make memories together. The three of you that you will savor. Your kid. You can forever tell him that the state of the world when he came into it and, and what his arrival did for you, your partner, and your hearts and your souls. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Now, on the football tip, I'm going to let you into a secret. Everybody, everybody thinks their kid is going to be the next Leo Messi, Gareth Bale, or even better, Jossie Zardes. I mean, everyone. And it, I think it's totally natural. Look, I've got four kids. They all play football. Quite seriously at times. And with the first, Samson, he played on some wicked club teams. And I'll tell you two things. Under seven, under eight, you do dream as a parent. Every father and mother who's watched their kids destroy or come as has had the same thought. Wow, I've got something special here. But the longer the kid plays, second thing is, the quicker you learn. You, you almost always learn that however good they are, more often than not, for 99.9% of them, there's always another level. And there's most often a point where they're not going to reach that level. And, and this is not to dissuade any of you, especially young listeners. I say, go for it. Go for it. But success, and I learned this again listening to DCL today, it's an incredible grind. It incorporates a ton of sacrifice. And I, I find over here in the United States, where football is more of a formal activity, a coached activity, there's too much pressure and not enough fun in football. There's much less free play in the United States than there is in England, where kids will naturally play for fun on their own, with jumpers for goalposts in the park. That'd be sweatshirts thrown down as goals. You know, I grew up playing massive pickup games in the park, hundreds of kids till it was too dark to see the ball. Wayne Rooney. Always told the story when he scored that wonder goal for Everton to defeat Arsenal age 16. How did he celebrate? He went back home to Croxteth and played in the street. Played football in the streets with his mates. Just joy. Just joy. So I wish that for your son. And for all young listeners, football should be a joy. May you find that joy and savour it. And less pressure from us, from us parents. More time enjoying that ball, the feel of it, at your feet. I taped a video message for a club outside the Madison, Wisconsin this week. And, and I wish them that, the, the sadness they feel, the lack 
of club football, which, you know, seeing your friends training, being together, that feeling of development, of mastery, of competence, it is an absence. I, I just urge them, channel that lack into something positive, play in your backyard, spend time with that ball glued to your foot, dribbling, shooting, playing with your sister, your brother, your parents, and just savour the true love of the game. Feel it. There's no finer feeling. It's that joy to me, more than anything, that's ultimately going to bring this country World Cup triumph. That's it. From Men in Blazers this week, we've got a teacher's happy hour Zoom this afternoon, which is essentially me talking football, drinking Buds and Jägermeisters with a couple of hundred heroes and role models from across the nation. But I will leave you as I began with sunshine on the leith. Oh, we all need this spirit in our lives right now. Spirit of heart, of tenacity, of collective belief. My tears are drying. My tears are drying. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My tears are drying. My tears are drying. Your beauty and kindness made tears clear my blindness. While I'm worth my room on this earth, I will be with you. I'm encouraging. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Men in Blazers ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Okay, so if you had a time machine, how far mm-hmm. in time would you need to go back to be a dominant basketball player of that era? <laughs> I need to go to when Bob Cousy was playing. Back I in, would, in the plumber days? 27-year-old Shay would give Bob Cousy the f***ing business. <laughs> He's not guarding me. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondering. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the best. Each week, Shay and I are combing through all of the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling ones, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Six Trophies ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.